Journey into comics. Poor 360. Journey into wrestling. Foodies watching movies. Adulting ain't easy. Podcastrophy. Kids for Sale. Voice Survival Podcast. Crucial Tunes. Gallif Radio. Breeze with Dudes. Dungeons with Dudes. Subscribe to Journey into Comics Network on iTunes, Podbean, Spotify, or at journeyintocomics.com. The following, the following is a journey into comics. 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 Network. 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 Production. Production. Hey guys, Dick here from Podcastrophy Podcast, and you are listening to the best of the Journey into Comics Network, where we take the best of each episode from the week and we highlight it for you and bring it to you in the form of this podcast today. So, uh, if you want, you know. You know, just uh, take a breather, relax, listen to the best of the Journey into Comics Network. And, you know, just do me a favor. Just do me one solid favor. Try to make every day a big dick day. Thanks, guys. And here we go. Ladies and gentlemen, you're listening to Journey into Comics. So individual A contacts me and says, "Hey man, I um I listened to your episode last week, episode 229 and I'm paraphrasing here by the way, folks. I'm just going to paraphrase cuz it just makes it a little bit more fun for me." Person's like, "What the fuck, dude? You uh you keep shitting all over DC movies and I'm not cool with it. You're a fucking total Marvel fanboy and I need you to own up to that. Just own up to that." And, and maybe try to be more objective in the future about the DC movies. Because it seems like every time a DC movie comes out, you're dog shitting on it. Okay. Look at the history. Okay, I've been reviewing DC comic movies since 2014. 2014, we had what the Man of Steel had come out that year or like the year just before that. And I don't think I had reviewed it. Maybe I briefly reviewed Man of Steel. You know what? We did. Brando and I talked about it because it was the, the prequel movie sequel that 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 the first movie was trying to smash the prequel story and the the subsequent sequel story into one story. And it was... Anyways, uh, we did in fact cover it. So I've been a part of both the Marvel... Uh, cinematic universe growth, which of course I got in late as far as covering it on the podcast. I think I've done a good job making up on it and, and talking about it as much as possible and doing the road to infinity war like we did last year. I'm still trying to figure out what we're going to do for, we want to do something special for the end game coming in April, but I haven't, haven't locked in what the ultimate plan is. Cause I want it to be a fully solid concept that is, uh, airtight, but, um, so I've been as 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 far as the network and, and JIC is concerned, I've been reviewing Marvel and DC movies for five years collectively. Okay. Now I want you guys to think about this. In that time, 2014, what came out for Marvel? Let's see, Captain America Winter Soldier. Home run. Fucking out of the park. And Guardians of the Galaxy. Grand fucking slam. Right? So those movies alone make 2014 a massive year for Marvel, and it gives me confidence that what they're doing in the future is going to work, and it has worked, right? 
And you you know, I don't I don't need to give you guys the full history lesson of what comes in 2015, 16, H Voltron, all that shit. You know, like you guys know pretty much what came next. And here's the truth, and, and I think I can be fair in saying this. The standard that Marvel has for their films, they don't sleep on. They don't give you everything you're expecting. They don't always give you everything you're wanting, but they always leave you satisfied one way or another. Even in Infinity War, when it was an awful, tragic ending and Thanos had snapped half of the galaxy away, like it was still satisfying because somebody's story arc was f- fulfilled, and you got to see that stem to stern. And, and the concepts were completed, and you got to understand in great detail of why, right? They do a great job in Marvel of setting the tone, and they do a beautiful job of, and this is very important, every Marvel movie feels, while a Marvel movie, while a superhero movie, they all seem to feel like their own sub-genre. It's a heist movie, it's a political thriller, it's a, you know, a space science fiction thing, you know, like... Every movie has its own jazz and its own style, and that makes Marvel special because it still is interconnected beautifully. They do have a well-thought-out plan. They're not just trying to make up for lost time, and I believe, and this is the very important thing, I don't hate DC. In fact, today I wore DC hat, DC shoe, I'm pretty sure. Oh, no, I didn't end up wearing my, my DC shoes, my Flash shoes. I almost wore my flash shoes, but I decided against it. But I digress. My love for DC is before my love for Marvel. Easily. First superhero I love is Batman. He's fucking sacred to me, right? And I mean, some people might find that silly. Batman's sacred to him, you fucking clown. He's a fucking cartoon. Hmm. Another drink break brought to you by AP. I'm very uh, parched today and have a lot to say, so I feel like I'm going to be doing a lot of drink breaks. Sorry. But anyways, you're like, you fucking clown. You can't, like, Batman that much. Like, he's just a car- he's just a cartoon. Yeah, sure. But uh, what that character gave me as a child, a sense of escapability in my weird life as a youth, and moving around a little bit. Not a lot. I didn't move around a ton, but I did have some moves and whatnot. And some weird shit happened with my parents and whatnot. So, um, you know, it's just like Batman was the fucking first character that I like genuinely obsessed over. I wore my 89 Batman tape out tenfold, motherfuckers. Like, I loved it. I still love it. 89 Batman, one of the greatest, in my opinion, greatest films of all time. For its own quirky reason, just being the the offshoot of doing... I mean, think about it. Here's the interesting thing. You look back at the old days, and Marvel might have tried to do superhero movies, like full-blown superhero movies, um to some degree, but didn't do it really successfully. And this is, I'm not going to count 66 Batman because that's like a spinoff of a TV show. So it's not the same as it trying to be its own universe. But so Marvel had it in like the seventies and eighties, you know, like this, like, like fucking, they did Punisher and they did Nick Fury and Captain America. And then you had like Lou Frigno's Hulk on TV. And it was okay. Some of the stuff 
but most of it was hogwash. It wasn't that good. And then you got to 89 Batman, and it was fucking spectacular, right? It's like, oh my god, this is what superhero movies... So, so really, 89 Batman is the groundwork for what I really make all movies live up to if we're looking at it in a real in the real spectrum because it's like 89 Batman is is the movie that as a kid I sit down I watch I love it there's moments that stick out from the first time I watch it that I'll never ever forget the first time seeing um most specifically I know for the first time I remember actively watching I was probably like 3 years old it came out on D or on VHS in 1990 so I definitely was three. It was like right around the time my sister was born. And uh, I just remember the Joker falling and the teeth laughing at the end and whatnot. And it was so creepy. The first time I watched it, so I was like, oh my God, I gotta watch the second time. And the second time I watched it, I was probably like in love with the Batwing because I thought it was fucking amazing when it flies up into the moon and just creates this moment. So there's all these moments of like joy that just like peak my heart as a kid. Now I look back at them and they still peak my heart of like, oh man. There was a, I see the vision that Tim Burton put into that. So I judge all movies by that. Like, you have to be a visionary. And I have actively said on this show several times there are some Marvel movies in the MCU that are shite. I've also said there are some Marvel movies that exist in the universe. And I'm not saying the Marvel Cinematic Universe, just in movies in general that are shite. I've not shied away from that. I have not hid from that I think that some people are a little bit confused right you take a movie like Aquaman and it has all the things that I should like fast paced actiony fight sequences Jason Momoa is a good protagonist good great villains cool sets for CGI um like, looking at all the things that are, like, the pluses and whatnot, and there are some pluses, right? But, and this is the but, and to go back to the review that I, I gave last week, it comes down to, you got to make me, like, I guess this is my standard, okay? And this is the best way to say this. It's going to sound corny. I'm going to come off as this fucking weirdo. I'm already a weirdo. I digress. But if I go see a superhero flick... At the end of the flick, I want to walk out of the theater and turn to whoever I saw the movie with and literally say these words. Fuck. Oh, man. I wish I was uh, Captain Marvel. She's She's got a movie coming out, so I'll just use her as an example. I don't care. I'm not a lady. But that movie, I guarantee you, because I've just, in the trailers alone, I can see it. I can sense they are still on the right path. Marvel didn't just get stupid and start making bad movies. Like, that didn't happen. They've instilled enough trust in me that I can go, okay, I, let's see where you take me on this journey. You know, like, really, let's see it. So, Aquaman did not do that for me. At the end of the movie, I did not go, I want to be Aquaman. I was like, that CGI was terrible and... There was so much that they could have done better, and I'm really, really disappointed that they don't think about better dialogue, man. That's a fundamental. Write a movie with good dialogue. Know when to put comedy. No, they just, they don't have it. DC's department, who's 
the head of movies. They just don't quite have it, folks. <clears throat> and it's frustrating, man. So, you know, I get asked, why are you fanboying over Marvel? And that's, again, paraphrasing. That's not really what was said. Uh, and just, hold on, drink break from uh, Poor 360. So anyways, to get back into it. It's like, uh, it's impossible for me to just be a Marvel fanboy. And I know I've been very critical on the movies of DC. But, again, you look at the things in their body of work in the past several years. And, and let's talk about that for a minute. Because while you can talk all day about Marvel's success is what they've gotten right. And, and, the, and the feeling that Aquaman did not give me of going, fuck, I want to be Aquaman. It, it, it did not do that. It's not necessarily all of Aquaman and James Wan's fault. And sure, other people's clamored, this movie's amazing, it's great, it's brilliant, it's well done, it's beautiful, it's all these things. Not going to necessarily disagree. But fundamentally speaking, DC has not instilled enough trust by doing their other movies correctly, by giving focus and saying, hey, Listen to me. If you suspend just a fraction of your disbelief in favor of this movie and what story we're trying to tell in the Marvel Universe, or well, in the DC Universe, then you're going to be on the great ride. But DC can't do that because their ground has been shaky. Literally, every move, every decision they make is just like, oh, what? Like, okay, great example. Here's a great example. It's a little bit of news. I didn't even have this on the article rundown thing. I usually do. This is just me riffing based on the, these conjectures. It's a rumor that's been going around of who is playing the next Batman in Matt Reeves' The Batman because Batfleck officially is gone, right? So Batfleck exits, and it's all said and done. And they're like, we're talking about people to replace him. And I'm thinking, DC, now's your chance. Nail it. Kit Harrington, someone who is going to be able to be both Bruce Wayne and Batman and sell it. You've got to be believable. You can't just be a pretty boy. You can't just be a badass. You have to be towing that line. You have to be a little bit of both. That's why Michael Keaton got it right. That's why, for the most part, Adam West got it right. Even Christian Bale got that right. A couple of the other Batmans didn't necessarily get that right, but I digress. So, you just, you're talking about who you're going to make Batman. And I'm thinking, good, they're going to have a great pool of names. They're going to be names that I'm familiar with, I believe in. People that are the ripe age that are going to be great to play it. What's the first rumor we hear after Ben Affleck leaves? Usually the first rumor is not true, by the way, but it's still worth it's still worth talking about the possibility. Robert Pattinson or whatever, the dude from Twilight? Are you kidding me? No, he is not going to be Batman or Bruce. He's not. He can't do it. I'm sorry, but DC, listen, if that is, if there's any truth to that rumor, if there's any breath to that rumor, it proves once again how naive DC is. They're looking now, oh, we got to have star power in our Batman. Guaranteed. It has to be a made dude for it to be successful. You're looking at it all wrong. You need to have someone who is successful because they're a great actor. And let their great acting create the story you want to tell. The problem is now is you've got so much shit going on and they're 
DC is scrambling because they're like, we want to have an interconnected universe. We can't have an interconnected universe. We fucked up the interconnected universe, and we're going to retcon that probably. What are we going to do, though? Because we've got movies still coming out. We still product- we're still talking about movies we're going to have producing. We're still talking about movies that are going to come out. We're, we're going to be... DC might be a brand that gets superhero fatigue that needs to take a chill. But actually, during the first decade of the Super Bowl, it was actually mostly college marching bands, which is actually pretty interesting. So it, was, it wasn't until like the show's second decade that they featured a more varied show, often featuring drill teams and other performance ensembles. The group Up the People produced and starred in four of the performances. In the middle of the third decade, in an effort to counter other networks' efforts to counter-program the game. So obviously they were trying to put on their own thing to negate people watching the Super Bowl. It happens a lot with uh, normal broadcast network television. So obviously, like you see, like NBC has like their Wednesday night lineup. They're trying to counteract someone else, another network's Wednesday night lineup to say, oh, if you had to pick between these two shows, which one is better? So they were trying to counter-program the Super Bowl, which seems unheard of now, but 20 years ago, that was much a thing. So they actually went to more popular acts, bringing out more popular movies like New Kids on the Block, Gloria Estefan, Michael Jackson, Clint Black, Patti LaBelle, and Tony Bennett. So starting with Super Bowl 32, commercial sponsors presented the halftime show. Within five years, the tradition of having a theme began with Super Bowl three, ended. So, replaced by major music productions by arena rock bands and other high-profile acts. In the six years immediately following an incident at Super Bowl 38, where Justin Blake exposed one of Janet Jackson's breasts in an alleged wardrobe malfunction, all the halftime shows consisted of a performance by one artist or group, with musicians in that era primarily being rock artists from the 60s, 70s, and 80s. These shows were considered family-friendly, and the time at which they took place had been described as the age of reactionary halftime shows. Since Super Bowl... Uh, XLV, my Roman numeral, uh, what was that, 45, XL, let's say 45, X, yeah, I don't know, give or take 45, um, they started featuring contemporary musicians with a typical format featuring a single headliner who's collaborating with a small number of guest acts. And one thing I actually found really interesting is that the NFL does not pay the halftime show performers. You'd think it's a big-ticket item that they'd have to pay someone a lot of money to get that kind of notoriety, but actually they don't. They just give someone the platform to really sell their brand. But you're already getting these big names, so they really don't need that extra incentive. So they don't pay you an appearance fee, but they do cover all your expenses for your performers, your entourage, your band members, management, tech crew, all that. Everything goes along through it. So the Super Bowl thirty or 27 halftime show had Michael Jackson, and he was an exception, as the NFL inferiorly agreed to make a donation to provide commercial time for Jackson's Heal the World Foundation. So according to the Nielsen SoundScan data, the halftime performers regularly experience significant spikes in weekly album sales and paid digital downloads due to the exposure. For Super Bowl, Super Bowl sorry, 49, it was reported that the Wall Street Journal that league officials asked representatives of potential acts they would be willing to provide financial compensation to the NFL in exchange for their appearance in the form of either an upfront fee or cut of revenue from concert performances made after the Super Bowl. While these reports were denied by NFL spokesmen, they had, the request had, according to the journal, received a chilly response from those involved. 
Yeah, like, I think that's... Like, I understand they get a tick from after, but... You want them to reform as much as some of them want to be there. And based on the acts we've seen in recent years, they're not necessarily, like, big people. I guess the argument we made there are bigger bands, but I feel like it's kind of comes and goes with the times. But I feel like they have... They need to... They always mix it up to try and get the most audience. So... Um, from this, uh, article, there's a list of all the performances from, for all the Super Bowls. So it's going to be a bit to go through, but it's, I think, worth knowing. You can see kind of the transition. Then we can kind of see what goes on from there. So let's take it all the way back to 1967. This was the first Super Bowl. It was... At the L.A. Memorial Coliseum in Los Angeles, California. I don't know who played, like, who the performance, or not the part, who the teams were playing. That's not what this post is about. But, so the performers was the University of Illinois Symphonic Marching Band and Grambling State University Marching Band, Al Hurt, Anaheim High School Drill Team, and Flag Girls. The set list included the Liberty Bell, the University of Arizona Symphonic Marching Band. That, I mean, that's who did the set list. So, very patriotic, seemed very short. The next year for Super Bowl two in 68 was the Miami Orange Bowl in Miami, Florida. And that was Grambling State University Marching Band. The third one, also the at the Miami Orange Bowl. The theme of it, this is when they started to come up with themes. That was America Thanks, and the performers were the Florida a University and Miami Area High School Bands. So, still sticking with the marching bands, like I said, the kind of the consensus at the beginning. Uh, in the 70s, we saw, it was at Tulane Stadium in New Orleans, and that was a tribute to Mardi Gras, and that figured the performance Marguerite Piazza, Doc Severinsen, Al Hurt, Lionel Hampton, Lionel Hampton Southern University Marching Band. And the set list, one of them was when the Saints go marching in, which is very football, and yeah. Uh... Back at the Miami Orange Bowl for the fifth one, and that was the Southeast Missouri State Marching Band. So it seems like they just keep getting college bands to play. Back at Tulane Stadium for the sixth. This was a salute to Louis Armstrong, which featured Ella Fitzgerald, Carol Channing, Al Hurt again, the U.S. AFA Cadet Chorale, and the U.S. Marine Corps Drill Team. And one of the songs was Mac the Knife by Ella Fitzgerald and Al Hurt. Next one was at L.A. Memorial Coliseum, which I think where the first one was. The theme was Happiness Is, and it was performed by the University of Michigan Marching Band and Woody Herman and Andy Williams. Setlicks included Put on a Happy Face by the University of Michigan Marching Band, La Virgin de la Macarena by the University of Michigan Marching Band, This Land is Your Land by the same marching band, Marmalade, Molasses, and Honey by Andy Williams, and People by Andy Williams. It's obviously not a complete one, that's just what they have available here. For Super Bowl eight. In 74, it was at Rice Stadium in Houston, Texas. The theme was A Musical America. The performers were University of Texas Longhorn Band and Judy Mallet, Miss Texas of 1973, on fiddle. Wow. Um, no songs list there. Uh, next year, for Super Bowl nine, it was at Tulane Stadium again. It was a tribute to Duke Ellington, and the performers were Mercer Ellington, guessing a child, and Grambling State University Marching Band. So, still the marching bands. For Super Bowl X, big monumental one, in 1976, it was at the Miami Orange Bowl, again. The theme was 200 Years and Just a Baby, a tribute to America's Bicentennial. Obviously, it was 1976, so it was the Bicentennial. Performers were up of, up with people. First one that really include a marching band. 
the next year was at the Rose Bowl in Pasadena. Theme was It's a Small World. And the performers were Los Angeles United All-City Band and Audience Card Stunt. And this was the first one I think that was produced by the Walt Disney Company. I'm sensing a pattern here. So, uh, for 12, it was at the Louisiana Superdome. The theme was From Paris to Paris of America. The performers were Tyler Apache, Bell's Drill Team, and Apache Band Pete Fontaine and Al Hurt. Okay. Next year was at the Miami Orange Bowl. This was Super Bowl 13. Uh, the theme was Salute to the Caribbean. It was Ken Hamilton and various Caribbean bands, including Gramex out of Dominica. Sponsor was Carnival. Carnival Cruise Line actually sponsored that one. That one's interesting. Now we're getting to the 80s. This is where it kind of gets a little more exciting. So, first one was at the Rose Bowl. A salute to the big band era, and it was featured up with the people again. Grambling State University marching bands again. And that was it. Uh, next year's Louisiana Superdome. Theme was Mardi Gras Festival, and it featured Southern University marching band and Helen O'Connell. Uh, for 16, it was at the Pontiac Silverdome in Pontiac, Michigan. I don't even know if that place still exists anymore. And it was a salute to the 1960s in Motown, performed with by Up With The People. For the 1983 Super Bowl, it was at the Rose Bowl. Theme was Kaleido Superscope, and it was by the LA Super Drill Team. Okay. For the one in 1984, Super Bowl 18, it was a salute to Superstars of Silver Scream. It featured the University of Florida and Florida State University marching bands, produced by the Walt Disney Company, and songs included an introduction by Phyllis George, Hooray for Hollywood, You Gotta Be in Pictures, Stepping Out with My Baby, Putting on the Ritz, 42nd Street, When You Wish Upon a Star. It's a Disney produced, it's gonna, there's gonna feature When You Wish Upon a Star. For Super Bowl in the 85, Super Bowl 19, it was at Stanford Stadium in Stanford, California. The theme was World of Children's Dreams. The performers were Tops in Blue, and it was produced by the Air Force Entertainment. How about that? For Super Bowl 20 in 86, it was Louisiana Superdome. The theme was Beat of the Future, and it was performed by Up With People Again. This is probably a big group. So this is... For Super Bowl 21, it was at the Rose Bowl. The theme was Salute to Hollywood's 100th Anniversary, The World of Make-Believe. Performers were George Burns, Mickey Rooney, Grambling State University and USC marching bands, Disney characters, and Southern California area high school drill teams and dancers. Produced again by the Walt Disney Company. Setlists include Ghost Riders in the Sky. The theme songs from Bonanza, Indiana Jones, and Footloose. Hoedown Song, Cheek to Cheek, What a Feeling, the theme from Flashdance. That's Entertainment, Somewhere Over the Rainbow, and When You Wish Upon a Star. Again, for the first time in a couple years. That takes us to 88, with Super Bowl 22. It was at Jack Murphy Stadium in San Diego. The theme was Something Grand. Performers were Chubby Checker, The Rockettes, 88 Grand Pianos, and the combined San Diego State University marching Aztecs and USC marching bands. So, obviously there's not really any songs for this one. For Super Bowl 23, it was Joe Roby Stadium. It was the 1950s rock and roll was the theme. It featured Elvis Presto, not Presley, Presto, and the South Florida area dancers and performers. The theme also said it was Bebop Bamboozled in 3D. Weird. As well as a good introduction by Bob Costas and 3D commercial for Diet Coke. Uh, rock This Town, Audience Participation Card Trick, Tutti Fruity, Do You Love Me, Dove With a Blue Dress On, Great Balls of Fire, Greased Lightning, True Love. Alright, now we're getting into the 90s, so I'm actually alive for some of these. Except for the, except for the first one, Super Bowl... 24, I was not alive yet. Um, 
This was Louisiana Superdome. It was the salute to New Orleans and 40th anniversary of Peanuts. So it featured Fleeter Fontaine, Doug Kershaw, Irma Thomas, Nichols, State University Marching Band, Southern University Marching Band, USL Marching Band. Songs included Up at Lazy River, Waiting for the Robert E. Lee, Here Comes the Showboat, When the Saints Go Marching In, Pete Fontaine on Clarinet, and Happy Birthday to You. Oh, because it was the 40th anniversary of Peanuts. Weird. Um, January of 91 was Super Bowl 25 at Tampa Stadium. The theme was a small world tribute to 25 years of the Super Bowl. 25. All right, so it featured... Now we're getting some bands. So we have New Kids on the Block, Disney Characters, Warren Moon, 2,000 Local Children, and an Audience Card Stunt. Produced by the Walt Disney Company, sponsored by Walt Disney World and the Coca-Cola Company. Songs include It's Small World After All and We Are the World... And I like to teach the world to sing. So, Coca-Cola and Disney right at the beginning there. Step by Step by New Kids on the Block. That's one's for the children. New Kids on the Block and Children, the 2,000 local children. And there's a small world after all by the children. I mean, if I was watching Super Bowl 25 and they, all the 2,000 local kids started singing It's a Small World After All, I'd probably go insane. And something special about this halftime show is that the airing of this halftime show was delayed until the conclusion of the game due to ABC News coverage of Operation Desert Storm. Interesting. Brings us to 1992 at the Hubert Humphrey Metrodome in Minneapolis, Minnesota. Theme was Winter Magic and a salute to the 92 Winter Olympics. Performers were Gloria Estefan, Olympic figure skaters Brian Botano and Dorothy Hamill. Members of the 1980 U.S. Olympic Hockey Team and the University of Minnesota Marching Band. The set list included Winter Magic, Walking in a Winter Wonderland, Dance of the Sugar Plum Fairy, Frosty by the University of Minnesota Marching Band, once One Moment in Time featuring Brian Patano and Dorothy Hamill. Don't Stop Me Now featuring members of the 1980 U.S. Olympic Hockey Team. Live for Loving You by Gloria Estefan and Get On Your Feet by Gloria Estefan. During the halftime, Rebel Network Fox aired a special live episode of In Living Color. One of its first deliberate attempts at counter-programming, the show drew over 22 million viewers away from the Super Bowl telecast. In mid-1992, citing this select productions pitched the concept of exclusive featuring live concert-type performances from top contemporary musical artists. The concept and pitch is attributed to Select Productions employee Rick Lewis and prompted the change of the 1993 halftime show to showcase Michael Jackson. So it brings us to the big one. Super Bowl 27 halftime show. In January of 93 at the Rose Bowl in Pasadena, California featuring Michael Jackson. And this one has its own special article. Kind of the two big moments in Super Bowl history all involved at Jackson. So, Super Bowl, the 27 halftime show. It featured American singer Michael Jackson. It was broadcast on NBC. That one has increased the TV rating by a significant amount and has been claimed to be the one of the most watched events in American television history with 133.4 million viewers. Jackson former star the NFL trend of signing top acts to appear during the Super Bowl to attract more viewers and interest. So, after Super Bowl 26... With, where a special episode of In Living Cover broadcast by future NFL broadcaster Fox during the game's halftime period successfully attracted viewers away from the Super Bowl on CBS. With viewership falling by 22% over halftime, the NFL began the process of heightening the profile of the halftime show in an effort to attract mainstream viewers. Do I have everybody's attention now? And I think we should start at the top. Because they are the best of the best of the best. Let's talk about the elite, you guys. There's some stuff been going on, and uh, I just want to get right on into it. So let's go for it. 
interestingly enough, this kind of ties in with a little bit of my today. I've, as you guys probably have recently heard, had some sync woes on Journey into Comics. I talk about that. But, uh, you know, anyways, we uh, were working on the sink, and today I went to go get under there to check something, and I slipped and fucking cracked my knee, and it hurts so unbelievably bad. But while my knee is only hurting a little bit, this is what happened today also, as Cody Rhodes gave us fans uh, and us uh, enjoyers of wrestling an update today, actually, as I record this. Uh, he posted a pic on Twitter, and it says, Surgery completed, went smooth, back to work. Cowabunga, I guess. And uh, he's got a brace on his knee, and he's in a hospital bed, and there's a cup by his bed with a sippy straw, and he just looks as dashing Cody Rhodes as ever, you know? So uh, he had his, he tore his medial meniscus in two places at a Ring of Honor event back in November. He competed at both final battle against Jay Lethal and at Wrestle Kingdom 13 against Juice Robinson before undergoing the knee surgery. Of course, he's been doing a lot of promotional work for getting AEW off the ground, and they had the Double or Nothing press conference. I feel like they've just been doing a lot of press conferences. It was like the the All Elite Wrestling press conference, and now it's the the Double or Nothing press conference, and then the next press conference is probably going to be whatever their following event is. Before we've even had... Any official matches, they're just doing all this press work. And uh, there are some things, I mean, there's several different things I want to talk about. I want to talk about what the Young Bucks have kind of been doing that kind of changed the game a little bit in wrestling. Um, So I guess before we continue on with other things that Cody and all these guys have said and some of the stuff we've got with AEW, I do want to highlight the Young Bucks and talk about them as a tag team. So uh, let's just get into this. You know, those guys are also executive presidents, executive vice presidents or whatever, of their brand, All Elite Wrestling. Much like Brando and myself, when we started the network, we were both executive vice presidents, equal shares, equal partners, and upon his leaving the network, it's now become my shit, I guess, and I've got to kind of helm the ship differently, you know, and still delegate. Anyways, that's that's my shit. That's not important. Back to these three dudes that are, are, are creating All Elite Wrestling. So Cody has been doing a lot of the businessy side of things. Uh, Brandy is like the the look like the head talent scout for women and whatnot, and maybe men too. I might be misinterpreting that actually. But the young bucks are just taking their they're taking a very them approach, and what I mean by that is the young bucks have thrived on uh, amazingness, unpredictability, and wow factor, constantly wow factor. So. They, they have a big draw, a big enough draw. You've heard of the Young Bucks. You know who the Young Bucks are. Like, not the TNA, not not to back to when they were, you know, Matt Buck and, and Nick Buck, the Young Bucks, but, like, Nick and Matt Jackson, the Young Bucks, right? Uh, so these dudes are, you know, what could they do in their off time? Because right now they're, they don't work for ROH. They don't work for New Japan. They're independent wrestlers who own their own company, Who, which the company's not there yet. Obviously, they're laying the groundwork. So, looking at it, you think about it, you go, okay, well, what could they do? Well, why don't they go super old school and just start making surprise guest appearances? Not anything that maybe they tease anything but the day of. You know, we're going to be here today. Like, go. And then people are guessing, oh, are they going to go to Knoxville? Are they going to go here? Are they going to go there? 
So they did like a surprise appearance at Defy Wrestling to save Joey Ryan's ass, and that was awesome. And then they they you know they did a little little speech about loving that there's a fresh breath of indie wrestling in the world, and it was a very vibe and scene. Defy Wrestling out of Seattle looked bitching. If any of you know about Defy Wrestling, I would love to learn even even more. Uh, but oh, and then we got to talk about Marty too, and that's an important thing that's uh, that's all in a part of this. But then, so the Bucks did the Seattle thing, and I think they did Knoxville, and I think they did Atlanta as well. So they've done like three different surprise appearances. They showed up at Bar Wrestling, like th- they've just making themselves uh, accessible while also being the hottest thing in wrestling, and actually going to places that only have. 500 fans packed into an arena or a little fucking gym and making these shocking appearances. And those people are being forever uh, just, like, pushed into a memory of life where they'll never forget when the when the Young Bucks did these run-ins. And um, it, just makes the, it just makes everything fresh, too, because it shows that they are willing to work with anybody. They don't care. And it works better if you can work with anybody because... They go to a promotion, their eyes on that promotion. Like, I wasn't going to talk about Defy Wrestling on this week's show if they hadn't gone. I guarantee you, I wouldn't have even looked into it. But now I'm like, Seattle's got a vibrant wrestling scene. Like, I want to see more. I'm into that, you know? So the Young Bucks are just, uh, they're really doing their very best as workhorses for AEW and for their brand, The Elite, you know? And another thing I want to talk about, too, and I find interesting is, like, how they've done everything. They don't all, like, they've told you what was going to happen. They laid the groundwork. They literally said on being the elite, whatever happens next, we're all taking that next step together. We are all taking that next step together. But not all of them have the same exact contract dates. They've all signed to different things and done different things for a certain amount of time, so they've got to wait for contracts to run out before they can officially announce or make their moves. The Young Bucks and Cody had the same schedule with RO or with uh, New Japan. So when their when their contracts were up and we saw the thing on being the elite, you know, the clock striking midnight or whatever, uh, they could say as well as Adam Page, like, we're going to do this all elite wrestling thing. There's this double or nothing thing, like tease, tease, tease. And got people talked, it got people hyped, and it got people talking and hyped and, and freaking out and getting crazy. And, uh, you know, they they do that, and you're so focused on those four, and then, and then the questions start to come, what's going to happen to Kenny? What about Marty? Like, where's Flip Gordon? Like, all these guys have these different, everyone's on a different agenda, you know, and everybody has a different game plan. And I love how Kenny T's not going to All Elite Wrestling. We're going to get into that in a second. But before we do, uh, I want to say that Cody was talking about his expectations uh, for All Elite Wrestling, for Double or Nothing, the roster and whatnot. I guess he was a he was a guest on the Ross Report ahead of the ticket party they had in Las Vegas this past Thursday. Uh, given that AEW is still building up to its first event, Double or Nothing, in May, there are still plenty of questions surrounding the budding wrestling promotion. So when uh, you know Cody was grilled by JR, this is what he had to say. Right now I have the building, MGM Grand Garden Arena. Me, Matt, and Nick, we scale it for 11,600 seats. Some folks may know some seats may become available because if we thought we had a 
camera there, we kill that camera, we might open up a few hundred seats. We're aiming to hit uh, 11,600. We want to be honest about our tickets from day one because it's real easy in this day and age to look it up or just talk to the fire marshal. You can't really say we've got 100,000 people in this building anymore unless you have. So Rhodes and the Young Bucks' first self-promoted event all-in did uh, 10,000 seats at Sears in Chicago, and they sold out in under 30 minutes. So uh, he also says, We're kicking ourselves over calling it double or nothing. We couldn't find a building that had 20,000 to compete with the 10,000. But this building, it's got wrestling history. I went to WCW pay-per-views here. Matt and Nick did as well, and I'm really excited to bring our fans. Uh, so recently, and this is very important to note, there have been several. We're going to talk about some from the, from the announcement party. We're going to talk about some now that have just been announced over the internet. So uh, we had Pentagon Jr. and Phoenix, the Lucha Bros, uh, they're signing with All Elite Wrestling. Uh, Jungle Boy and Jimmy Havoc also signing with All Elite Wrestling. There was a little, like, what the fuck's a Jungle Boy? I love that. I thought that was very clever. As well as Chris Jericho, Pac, obviously. You've got Cody, the Bucks, Adam Page. You've got uh, Britt Baker. Uh, I feel like Tessa Blanchard's going to get signed, but that's just a, a matter of time kind of thing. Uh, so he was talking about the talent, Cody was, and he says, we're looking for a fresh... More than a kind of the equity-garnered individual who has perhaps popped around on various television shows already. We're looking for someone who hasn't been seen. That's kind of the directive. Of course, there's folks like Chris Jericho, just an absolute star, wrestling freaking rock star. He's done it all and seen it all. But what I want to have is a juxtaposition of somebody on that level seen with somebody who our audience maybe is seeing for the very first time ever. He also said the number of new talent signings will be announced during the event, which it was. We'll talk about that soon. We also got some, well, okay, I don't know which order to actually do this in. Uh, I guess we'll do it in this order because that makes more sense. But uh, as I said, thir- before, before we get into this, folks, quick drink break brought to you by Podcastrophe coming tomorrow on the Journey into Comics Network or at podcastrophypod.podbean.com or get them on iTunes to search Podcastrophe. This drink break, again, brought to you by them. Why is water so fucking good, man? We are all water, and that's why. That's the answer. So anyways, the All Elite uh, event for tickets, uh, the ticket announcements for Double or Nothing, the pool party thing they did at MGM Grand Hotel in Vegas was uh, streamed on Thursday. I was watching it while I was driving. Uh, this is just a brief rundown. Cody made his way to the ring, or made his way to the stage to announce AEW would start up a, his, a partnership with Mexican Lucha Libre promotion AAA, it wasn't really that big of a shock, but also kind of a big shock. He then announced that pre-sale signups for Double or Nothing tickets began the night of the, the, the right then in the moment on the promotion's new official website, and the tickets would officially go on sale. They go on sale today for those of you who are listening. They're probably already sold out. My guess is Double or Nothing has already sold out. I'm gonna just predict it here, almost 24 hours before it happens. Double or Nothing gonna sell out in under 24 hours. Double or Nothing's first official match was announced as Adam Hangman Page taking on Pac, formerly Neville for you WWE fans. Pac couldn't make the show, but still cut a promo on Page via a video. Uh, The Young Bucks then came out and announced that the best friends tag team of Trent Beretta and Chuck Taylor, formerly of Ring of Honor New Japan, would join the company. That was a huge signing. The best friends being signed is an amazing thing for their tag division. So now you've got the Lucha Bros, the Young Bucks, the best friends, 
Okay, so now you 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 in those three teams alone, you could put together a triple threat tag match for the first ever All Elite Wrestling tag titles, and it would blow the fucking roof off of MGM Grand. I'm just saying. But the Bucks were then jumped during this thing by Phoenix and Pentagon Jr., who cut a promo after knocking the two out by saying they wanted to prove they were the best tag team in the world at Double or Nothing. So, again, laying the groundwork, maybe that's where the tag titles are going to be, but then you had the best friends kind of in on that too, so could be utilized. They announced several new female wrestlers being added to the roster, uh, including, I'm going to fuck this up, Yuka Sakazaki, Aja Kong, Kylie Ray, and Nyla Rose. Uh, Nyla Rose, by the way, I do want to mention, impressively the first transgender female professional wrestler signed to any major company ever, I do believe, as far as I know, like um, openly. So that's very awesome for, you know, moving forward, everybody should be able to kick ass in wrestling. It doesn't matter. I don't give a fuck. Listen, it's, it's just wrestling. Like, it's great. Anyways. After a hype package for the Oriental Wrestling Entertainment Chinese promotion, which was pretty cool, it just showed some of the guys that are coming over, uh, Christopher Daniels and the members of SoCal Uncensored challenged OWE's Kaima to find two of the company's best wrestlers and take them on in a six-man tag match at Double or Nothing. Again, laying the groundwork for what's to come, and I love it. So you've got Phoenix and Pentagon Jr., who are kind of your guys that are getting the call-up from AAA. Obviously, they've already worked all these other promotions and had amazing matches. You don't need to hype on it. We know about it. Like that's a cool thing for AAA. But then you've got this thing with OWE and SoCal Uncensored creating a six-man. It's like, man, okay, like this is hyped up. All like double or nothing's going to be great. Then we had the final signee announcement of the night, and this is coming into the bigger parts of our 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 talking points. We're going to get to him in a minute, though. As Kenny Omega closed the show out by announcing he was going to be an executive vice president of the company as well and a full-time member of the roster, meaning now there are four equal vice presidents in AEW. Omega then was approached by Chris Jericho after a brief face-off. Jericho like grabbed Omega's face and pushed him, which led to them quasi-duking it out and Omega almost got thrown down like four stairs, which would have sucked. He almost went into the pool too, which also would have sucked. It didn't happen, but it was still a very intense match. Uh, and then, uh, of course, ever since All Elite's been the thing, Kenny's not been able to be a part of it or say anything or do anything. And now he's officially joined the party. And because he has officially joined the party, he got to do his closeout. Goodbye, bang, and good night. We're gonna We're fuck gonna the sodomites in the... I, I teeter between introvert and extrovert. I'm a, I, I, I'm You're definitely a, the happy medium. I'm an introverted extrovert, and I'm an extroverted introvert. Absolutely. What you doing there? Popping up? I'm, oh, I'm yeah. trying to go like uh, old dad's feet. leaning back. Oh yeah, he's he's go, like, he's quarter <laughs> chub. He's quarter chub on the dad chair. Well, I'm quarter chub all the time. But, yeah. Okay. But no, so uh, I'm I'm that happy medium, as you said. I'm the perfect happy medium where sometimes I need in order to charge the batteries, I need to be left the fuck alone. And sometimes in order to 
get my get a little pep in my step, I need a good conversation with some good people. Well, there's been times, especially when I worked at Subaru, some good social energy that you. I mean, because I love to talk. Yeah. When you you there was a few times you looked at me and you're like, man, I just I don't have it in me to have the level of conversation that you want to have. I know you'd and be it, like, there would be times we'd be working together and be like, so you're not talking today? <laughs> I'd be like, I don't know what you want to talk about. <laughs> or you'd be like. Are you going to fuck? Like, it'd be an hour into working together. Are you going to fucking talk to me or what? I'm like, not with that attitude. (laughs) Asshole. You rethink your attitude, mister. (laughs) You better drop that if you want me to talk to you. Right. But, I mean, yeah, you are definitely the happy medium. Yeah. and If there's good conversation, you're in it. If it's not worthwhile, you are just content with being in your own brain. Yeah, yeah, I I exist. There, There are some people that just don't understand that way that that wavelength well they think that you're being an asshole just yeah. because you don't want to talk or or they think that they're not good enough or yeah uh it, it's it's rough like miranda my wife for those listening <laughs> uh she she doesn't some she doesn't get sometimes that i need to be alone and i need to be left in my own mm-hmm. headspace uh which Lately hasn't been very much of an issue. I've been I've been kind of riding that you know social wavelength for a little while, but no, so she she just doesn't understand that, and it, it's it's tough explaining that to her. That like in order for me to like recharge and you know get my energy back from all the other draining activities of the day, I just need to be left alone. You gotta isolate. Yeah, we, I, I mean yeah. I I know like you said a minute ago that you struggle being drained when you're by yourself. Mm-hmm. And and I'm kind of on the teeter-totter in between where I really like to be by myself, but there's a happy medium where if I'm if I'm by myself for too long, then, you know, then I spiral the wrong direction. And I absolutely need some alone time. Oh, yeah. Everybody I, does. Everybody I think, does. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think especially I our generation doesn't acknowledge the fact that you we don't ha- have to be with somebody all well, the time. Well, I mean, as a species, we rely on other human interaction. Mm-hmm. Like... We need it, but you also need to be cognitive of the fact that you don't have to be fully self-sufficient all the time, but you have to be able to detach from all the shit that's going on because Mm -hmm. otherwise you're going to get wrapped up in it and then you're going to be in situations that are out of your control just so you can be around other people. Mm -hmm. And, you know, some people just don't know how to be alone with themselves. Right. And their thoughts, and they're like, okay, I don't want to think about this. They get too much into their own head, and mm-hmm. they can't deal with that. So they're like, okay, I need to be around people, and that's how you get into, like, really dependent mm-hmm. relationships with people, whether it be romantic or friendship or otherwise. Yeah, I so. mean, people – I've had pretty pretty good debates with people about that where normally I'm, I'm on the spectrum where things are black and white. Or at least I am for a lot of issues. It either is or it is not. But the head on this is just insane because I just what she said. I just barely poured a little bit in. Thank you for the giggle. Like, I appreciated that. <laughs> but uh, I'm a lot of times I'm very, very steadfast, and it is either this way or it is not. And and that's obviously not always the case. But I've had like knockdown, dragout arguments with people about us having the ability to be alone it's an important skill that a lot of people don't have well and a lot of people are in denial about the fact that over time 
and through conscious decisions and trying trying to get yourself in that mindset that it's achievable. A lot of people just, uh, you know, especially our generation are like, well, I can only function around other people. Well, because people are connected to, connected to each other constantly. Right. You have a phone. Yep. Jesus Christ. <laughs> That's been barely pouring it. I know. But it's yeah, like, like they're science connected. Science fair volcano. They're connected constantly on your phone or just whatever. And so being alone, even when you're sitting by yourself talking to somebody. Could you imagine living in the early 20th century where yeah. you actually had to go speak to people? I mean, actually, yeah, because I'm good with that. Right. But... <laughs> I mean, we all have the ability to... to um survive i guess in a social climate yeah we're in this really cool in between where uh we experience both technology and before serious technology Mm -hmm. serious we we grew up in the age in between the age of communication which is where we're at now Mm -hmm. and the age of analog analog yeah yeah i I like that i I like that term Mm -hmm. did you did you guys i mean you guys are a little bit older than me did you guys have to take typing classes when you were in elementary school Uh, yeah a little bit do you remember like this is a computer this is how you use it i mean do you guys remember doing that shit very little yeah kids don't do that now the most i did on computer was math blaster and oregon trail yes yes hell yeah okay like um i loved oh there was one oregon trail like spelling and oh what was that called look it up but like okay so all those all those like interactive learning games that was how uh, the teachers and the administration came up with to get us exposed to technology on a grander scale because a lot of it still wasn't affordable. So with government budgets and things like that, let's put some of this technology in schools. Let's get all these kids exposed to it. How do we get them um how do we get them excited about this technology? Yeah. Which to a lot of kid, you know, like seven, eight year old kids, oh, that just looks like a TV. You know, it looks like. Well, what is what was our generation starting to be obsessed with? Video games. Mm-hmm. Yes. You fucking make interactive video games. You can play Mortal Kombat with your guy in Vietnam. Sure. <sighs> I can't remember the exact quote. It's cable but, guy. Oh man, but I you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like. Sorry, I'm looking up '90s computer. No, you're games. fine. But that, but that was how, how they got us engaged in it. Otherwise, yeah. it would have been even more difficult than it already was. Like, what the fuck's this magic picture box? <laughs> Brandon Stone, if he listen, if he listens to this, he would appreciate the magic picture box comment. But um, now kids don't have to do that. Like, we are very strict with Ruby as far as, like, not the amount of. TV that she watches, but now we don't like turn the TV on and just let her watch it. Like she is, we we are watching it, and then when we're done watching it, it's not just her sitting on the couch like staring at the box or the screen, you know. But she already knows how to use a cell phone. She's two. Yeah. She knows how to use uh, the iPad. She's yeah. two, and we don't let her. <clears throat> we don't just plop the iPad in her hands and put her in the corner and then forget about her like a lot of parents do. Mm-hmm. And she fucking knows how to do it already. So her, I don't know. It's crazy. Well, like we, we weren't exposed to technology that early on in our, right. in our development, but they, they have, but they don't have an option that, yeah. yeah. One, they don't have an option Two, uh, the younger you are, the, 
more able you are to grasp on a new right. things. Mm-hmm. Like your your mind's developing at that rapid of a race that race pace, pace. that you can just grasp onto things. That's that's why I, I seriously wish um in my early childhood people would have fostered my uh love of music. Because mm-hmm. I would have gotten into it way faster. I would have been I would be accelerated way beyond where I am now. Which is very mediocre. Well, and I think <laughs> I think that's part of the reason. I, I, I totally agree because I think that's part of the reason I struggle with uh, music so much. You know, I have a deep love and appreciation for a lot and such a broad catalog of music, and I've always had a desire to play music, but I've struggled with it, trying mm-hmm. to learn, especially teach myself. I just don't have that, but I I mean now. Now that I think, go back and think about it, I was exposed to hard work and responsibility and accountability and, like, this is how you make money for yourself. Like, that was how I was steered. So I didn't have a big appreciation for music when I was a kid because I, I didn't have it. I didn't really get exposed to music until after I was damaged. You know, that that's it why was I, there for me. That's why I have such an appreciation for music because I was damaged and at the time that I was damaged it boop just plug and play like mm-hmm. here is how you cope with this trauma. Mm-hmm. It's music and that's all you've got. Mm-hmm. So I totally agree that if especially in our school systems and you know I've talked about this at length on the show and I think Alex and I have discussed it on the show before maybe the first time that she was on the show, but like all these public uh, school systems that are cutting like their arts programs Mm -hmm. because of our political climate and they, you know, they don't really have an option. You can't pay people if you don't have the budget, you can't buy equipment if you don't have the budget and like teachers buying packs of pencils. Like I don't, I've seen some people throw a fit because, well, teachers shouldn't have to provide their own school supplies. They do it because they want to, they care about their job. Okay. Well, I'm an electrician. I have to buy all my own tools. Yeah. You know, I don't, I want to buy my own tools. I want to buy the shit that I want. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, I don't want cheap, I don't want a budget dictating what I work with on a daily basis. And if, like if you said, "Hey man, what tools? What tools should I buy since I own a home now to, to maintain and renovate my home?" I wouldn't say, "Well, the government budget dictates that this is what mm-hmm. you have to yeah, spend yeah. on a tool." Like that's dumb. So teachers buying like school, like me- minimal school supplies, that's always been okay to me because that just sh- that just shows to me that that person cares that much more about what they're doing. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Um, I feel like almost it should be like you can buy whatever you want, but you only get reimbursed up to this amount or right. something like Absolutely. that. Absolutely. Um, I think, you know, education is right, especially in our political climate right now. It's the most important thing that we have. Mm-hmm. We have education. We have um, inequalities in America. I would put that at number two because if you educate, you don't have as much inequality mm-hmm. because then everyone is being educated at the same level, not standardized test bullshit, actually being educated. Learn. Learn. 
learn and actually have people teaching and not just collecting a paycheck yeah Mm -hmm. teaching not just regurgitating knowledge correct Mm -hmm. a curriculum that someone else wrote yeah fuck that um i want i want teachers that are passionate about what they're teaching Mm -hmm. and it's just you don't get that anymore right that's sad well you don't get that as much yeah oh yeah 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 um because i mean we've i don't know I, i know he felt about school about the same way that i did but there, I vividly, I vividly remember the teachers that gave a shit, and I, I explicitly remember the te- teachers that did not did give not. a shit. Mm-hmm. Um, it's really cool that we're talking about this. So, I've been going back into the backlog of uh, the Joe Rogan podcast mm-hmm. and downloading individual episodes where there's people on there that I I want to listen to, and I'm on I think the second Neil deGrasse Tyson episode his episodes are some of my favorite. oh they're so good and it's so funny to hear him cuss <laughs> like it, 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 no it, it's hilarious hearing I'm him sure. hearing him go what the fuck you talking about hearing him <laughs> hearing him talk and I, I think i know what you're gonna bring up hearing him talk about education oh reform, yeah yeah because it's he, it's just mind-blowing he says we are all we are all born scientists mm-hmm. we are all born and grow up scientists but at some point a switch flips and and it's because of our educational system Mm -hmm. it's because we don't have people teaching or they're (sighs) we don't have people and 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 this isn't what he said but this is how i'm going to regurgitate it we don't we have the seeds have all been planted we are naturally curious people tending the crops Kids are naturally curious, and you have to foster that curiosity. Otherwise, it's just it's going it to disappear. Away. You just become a robot. Yeah, absolutely. Um, don't let me forget. There's more. I don't want to go in detail with Rogan, but don't bring Rogan up again after I finish spieling. Spiel away. Um, <laughs> but so we need to focus on education. With education. We combat a lot of our inequality issues, and then if we focus on education, that nips the inequality in the bud. Then we can focus on, um, you know, existential issues that affect the entire world. You're listening to the Voice of Survival Podcast, ladies and gentlemen. Your host. Nate Phillips. Yeah, it's a pretty amazing process, actually. It's kind of magical. I have to say, you think of a tempo in your head, you take a breath, you know what the words are coming up, you know what the problem Adele has with that high G, you need to give her a little more time, you start, and you have 40 people play exactly the same tempo with you. And it's not pop, 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 pop. And it's not pop 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 pop. It's pop 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 pop. And you just move your hand once. And if you do it right, and you know what you want, they're really good musicians. They'll do it. I don't understand it actually. Sometimes I'm like, how'd that happen? It's like magic in your own magic. Yeah. I think of it. I'm not being just a nice guy. I think of it much more of a responsibility. But to your question. It is manipulating people in a good way. Again, like a good stage director. How do you deal with uh, Meryl Streep in Bridges of Madison County? 
do you do first take stuff with her because she loves first takes? Or mm, do you say, no, let's do it again? And is she going to rebel after a while and do a worse job the fifth time around because she's given it all? So, you know, you know, I can give you examples in the last few days, you know. There are things that went haywire, and I let them go. Okay. You know, you just let it go. Don't sweat the there's small other, stuff. Yeah, but there's times when all the small stuff adds up to no art anymore because it's all detail. And there's sometimes when you just have to bark and or just not be happy with your eyes or, you know, the way you finish a piece, the way you walk out to the podium, you know, all of it. And that's not being a jerk or something. It's, you know, if you're going to do death and transfiguration, why would you walk out in a certain way? If you're going to do a fun Stars and Stripes Forever, why would you walk out like Darth Vader? You know, what kind of face do you have? How do you, where are your feet? Where are your legs? How do you approach the orchestra? What's your posture? Where's your, where, you know, how do you hold your head? And it has to come after a while naturally to you. Awesome. Uh, so now with that, I'm going to ask a, another little subset from the actually, you know, conducting everybody. Mm-hmm. Because I feel like you are a rare breed because not everybody, not everybody on earth, let's just be real, can conduct people like you have and get not just um, a great career out of it, but you've had recognition for doing this. I mean, just as recently as 2018, I believe you won the um, the conductor award from the Illinois... Um, what is that called? The Council, uh, of yeah, Orchestras. Council of Orchestras. Yeah, it's very nice. It's uh, very humbling, and I deserve it. No, I'm just kidding. No. But, um, I mean, I feel like you've put a lot of work in to just get to that, and I don't think everybody... Yeah, I didn't even know I'm up for it, so it's oh, something wow. nice that happens, and that's great, and um, it's wonderful. You know, I mean, in the end, you want it because you can use it in promotional materials and market materials. Somebody from the outside has said you know, this guy's doing well or his orchestra's doing well. You can also go to a donor at some point and say, you know, we're doing a good job. Would you invest in us? Would you invest in my musicians? Would you invest in our singers? Would you help us pay for the set? Would you help us with a new, we need a really beautiful costume next year for blah, blah, blah. And, you know, a person can take that, you know, come on, you know, once you win the Academy Award, you've won the Academy Award and they never just call you Nate anymore. They call you Nate, okay. winner of the Academy Award for blah, blah, blah. And we live with those titles. It's ridiculous, but it's human. And um, so it's very nice. It's, it's very nice. Um, it's very nice. Um, and thank you for mentioning it. Yeah, sure. Uh, so we're going to go back into your youth a little bit more. Did growing up in Crow's Nest Pass with that wilderness around you mm. and living in a world where it's a lot different than metropolitan Chicago – did that give you different kinds of, I guess the word would be, appreciation for your surroundings now in your life because you had almost a more secluded experience growing up? You should hear me when I'm driving on the freeway. Like Ben was on the phone with me today and I said some really bad words, really bad words about stupid traffic and stupid Chicago, you know. I told, I said to uh, somebody the other day, I, I was home a few months ago. I came into Calgary around midnight and I got my car and I was driving down to the Crozenus Pass. And I actually, after a while, I started to have an out, outer, outer body experience, which I never have, because I didn't see a car for about 25 minutes. And I was like, did the bomb hit? 
did Canada go to war with somebody? You know, because there's got to be a truck somewhere. What I didn't know, there was a storm down the road a little bit, a big storm. And, you know, but it was like so nice to be on a normal road, you know. And, yeah, it's so nice to just go home. I'm going home on Tuesday. And it's so nice, you know, you wake up and there's three deer in your backyard. And there's people walking by and they say hi. Or if you really wanted to, you can still, you know, just knock on somebody's door and borrow a cup of sugar and leave them a note. You know, and I, you know, this is not a Hillary thing. I believe everybody should grow up in a village because you have the influences of, like, I had the influences of every man in that village. So this man had a great sense of humor. This guy was a great father. This guy was a hard worker. This guy was, um, you know, very romantic. This guy, you know, blah, blah, blah. He was a, you know, good coach. And so let's say your dad drinks. He doesn't, but great example. Sure. Let's say my dad drank. Okay. You know, and maybe my parents didn't have such a good relationship. Okay. But all the men around me that I knew by name, I knew their dog's name, I knew their cat's name, I knew all their kids' name. I had all those people sort of touching me every day. Every woman, every grandmother, every grandfather, all those people are in me somewhere. And I feel like a repository of them. And I know how to say it. I feel very attached. Good. That's awesome, man. It's uh, yeah. it's amazing and, to yeah. get the experience of having a support system that's bigger than just mm-hmm. your family. That's it's Not everybody gets that. Sub-question in all of this. I, you mentioned you had brothers, right? You had two brothers that live in Ontario, is the no, guess? No, in Calgary. In Calgary? Uh, are those your only two siblings? Yeah. Okay. Older? One older, one younger. Oh, so you're the middleman. Yeah, I'm Kirk. You know, okay, it doesn't I'll... matter about them. They're okay. like my weenie brothers. Great. I love that. No, I'm kidding. They're fine people. One's a, one's a lumberjack. And one's a captain on the fire department in Calgary. Man, you guys have all different, very incredible paths, it seems. Like, those are all different. They're both very musical guys. They played, you know, very well. Like, my little brother, who's a fire captain, he played the violin, went to violin camp, all that stuff. But, you know, the paths that each person takes is astonishing. I mean, I shouldn't be conducting an orchestra in Chicago. I'm from a coal mining village in Alberta. The likelihood of you getting out of Alberta to makes do no something sense. bigger than this it makes no sense. It is difficult, but you pushed through. So you picked up trombone. You said there was some rock and roll stuff. Oh. So did you get, I'm guessing, not only just exposure to that kind of music, but you kind of fell in love with that music? Is that oh, the. Oh, yeah. Okay. I started my first rock band in fifth grade. So we took cardboard boxes from the hardware store and old hockey sticks that we'd broken, and we made cardboard pretend guitars, and we painted them with all our model paint. I remember I took all my brother's model paint, and like, that was all gone. And then we just put record players inside the fake drum things from the hardware store, because we just made them, you know? And then we charged a dime for our concerts in the garage. And we were, we were just lip syncing, of course. I had, I, we had Beatles, we had Stones, we had like, and I had to be Jagger and I had to be Lennon. You know, I wore glasses, so I had to be Lennon. You know, I mean, you know, so. No, no, I loved the rock music. And I, you know, and then I, you know, I got an organ at some point. My parents, like, I don't know how they ever afforded it. So I was the keyboard dude. 
Ooh. and I sang. Well, I really sang, you know, and I had long hair down to my butt and all this kind of stuff. And I loved it. And I was with older guys all the time, like when I was, because I knew music, I could say, oh yeah, pick a song, pick a song. Okay. What's your favorite Rolling Stone song, Veronica? Okay. You have a Stone song, Sarah? Paint it black. Paint it black. Okay. That's got an unusual harmony to it. Not very many chords, <laughs> you know. I see a red door and I want to paint it black. Boop, 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 boop. You know, it's got, I mean, it's ascending, which is unusual. Yeah. So I could figure it out for the guys. These guys who are 20, 19 are playing, you know, they're working in the mine and they got a Fender and they got a, you know, a Stratocaster and they've got a set of Pearl drums and they'd say, okay, uh, Kirk, figure out the chords for us. And I tell them, oh, yeah, it's C, E flat, F minor, you know, whatever. And then we play it and we try to get the right sound a little bit, you know. But I'm 13 and I'm with these 20 year old guys who are working in the mine with Dodge Chargers and Mustangs and beer and stuff, you know. So I loved it. Oh, and the place is when I walk in the Crozen's Pass, and I go, we used to rehearse in there. We used to rehearse in your basement. We used to rehearse there. Remember when we were there? Oh, that place that got ripped down. We used to rehearse in there. So, yeah, it was a big part of my, you know, and I got in a lots of trouble doing that, like lots of trouble. So you became a rebel. You can you can go ahead yeah. and have a drink. Take a second. Uh, so you become I'm not a drinking. I'm drinking soda, not a drink. Thank you for clarifying. Uh, <laughs> but uh, it seems like you had an evolution of yourself through exposure to everything in Crow's Nest Paths. It, it's, it's almost as if you encompass the spirit of that place. And you've brought that spirit away from Crow's Nest Pass, obviously, and kind of planted a seed here and said, this is oh. the culture I want to grow, is unity, everybody working together, uh, always driving towards a bigger goal, but always learning and evolving from each other. And I think that is one thing I notice. Just it is so easy to notice. It just rubs off on people from you. Thank you. I try to keep, the crow's nest pass in me i try to tell people you cannot take the crow's nest pass out of me and it is still the dirt in my blood and uh, i will die there someday and i will be buried there and uh, i want everybody to travel there tomorrow and see what it's like even though it's a little cold there right now it's such a wonderful beautiful heavenly place I, you know I, if i'd grown up in banff which is the next pass up by calgary I wouldn't be I wouldn't be a musician now because Banff is completely commercialized. It's like, oh, go to the Banff Springs Hotel. Oh, go to the gondola. Oh, buy the plastic Mountie. Oh, get yourself a beaver hat. Oh, you know, go up to the, you know, whatever. It's all super touristy. Go skiing, go skiing, go skiing. Oh, you know, like go buy an apple for 20 bucks. You know, it's like, so, yeah, and I try to do it with kids. You know, I want kids to feel comfortable. I want the audience to feel comfortable. I want them to feel connected to the musicians. I want them to feel connected to me. We're all absolutely, it doesn't matter whether you're a maestro dude or you're an oboist or you're a first-timer or you're a first-timer like you are today. Yeah. Everybody's equal. Everybody's welcome. It's beautiful music. It's, you know, it's an equalizer for all of us, and we all need each other. I need you to come to the opera and love it and come back. Otherwise, there's no use me slashing away down there in the pit with my baton. You know, I, I need you. It's like the, there's no one to listen. What's the point of the opera? It's the tree falling in the forest. Yes. Yep. Uh, so you talked about kids and the importance of mm. them being Love brought kids. into this in a positive manner. Mm -hmm. I think that's huge because kids getting uh, brought into music at an early age and seeing the 
good uh, in music, right? It led you down a good path, obviously. Uh-huh. Yeah. So that's your experience. You go, okay. So let's talk about this real quick. Not everybody knows this, but you have like a bag of goodies sometimes for kids. <laughs> My like, magic orange bag yeah, of presents. Yeah, I like it. It's uh, Was that something like you one day thought, oh, that's smart. Like here's a little extra incentive to a kid when they're coming to the opera or to the symphony? Wow, or Good question. I'm not sure it evolved. I wanted, I noticed like, like, you know, for instance, a little girl named Esther came today. And I know her mom and dad, her dad works on the stage crew. And she came last year to the opera and she'd asked her mom, I found out, mommy, can you get my opera glasses out for me? Because I heard, you know, daddy's working at the opera. Can we go? She's seven. So I did some like spy work. I found out what her favorite color, her favorite animal was. I asked her mom what kind of stuff she'd like, you know. And I said, well, tell her I want to, I'm looking forward to seeing her again. So I want that little smart sensitive girl to go oh that man whoever he is the guy with the suit on to he remembers me she's in second grade i mean her her understanding of you know all of this is a second grader but if i point her out and i make it personal to her then i think the experience is a little more positive for her plus when the kids are a little bit smaller I noticed that I go to say hello to them when they're three or four after summer concerts. There'd be little kids who come, and then they get all shy, which is very natural, and they hide behind their dad or their mom. So I just, at some point, I had some stuff on me. I'm not sure what I had, or I had something in my briefcase. I had some extra glow pens or something, and maybe 15 years ago, I said, you know what, I have something in my bag for a little girl who's four years old. And is it okay with your mom if I just give this to your mommy for you? And all of a sudden the kid comes out and they're fine and they're smiling and everything's cool. And you break the ice and then you just say, are you six years old? Well, you know, they're four, you know, and they go, no, I'm four, you know, and then you start talking to them for just a few seconds and then you're, they're okay, you know. It's time for Brews with Dudes. Ah, juicy. Good evening and welcome to another episode of Brews with Dudes. I'm your host, Nick Maxson, sitting down here once again at the North End Pub with Mr. Casey Taylor. How's it going, Casey? Good, good. How are we doing out there? I'm doing good. Uh, I've been here for a couple hours now warming up. Uh, for this 18th Street tap takeover, uh, we started the we started the audio for the podcast. We haven't started the live stream yet. You want to click that blue button there? This we'll get guy we'll right get, here. We'll get them going there too. Uh, they don't need any further introduction, I don't think. We'll just give them the the peace sign. They know we're in. They know we're here. Um, so, uh, like I said, we are uh, we're partying down at 18th Street tonight. Um, one of my longest standing favorite breweries. Um, they're up in the uh, northwest Indiana. The region. The region, as they call it. It's a region rat brewery. Um, it's up near the Three Floyds and whatnot. Um, so we are, uh, we got five different beers from them tonight down at the pub. Um, we're going to, after we do this podcast, we're going to get a Mario Kart tournament going on. Um, I'm going Toad the whole way. Toad. I, I see people posting online, like, asking about favorite characters and who you play. No one says Toad, and I'm like, y'all are wrong. That's why you're a bunch of fucking losers. I played a lot of Toad and Yoshi. Yeah. I always felt like Toad and Yoshi had the quickest vehicles. 
So, but yeah, I mean, plus, I mean, you can't ever go wrong with Mario or Princess. I don't know. There's lots, of, there's lots of good options, and especially with these later ones, we're playing on the Switch, which is pretty much a direct port of the Wii U one. Um, they got the weights and everything. It's like if you're using a tiny character as opposed to Bowser, you're going to have different. They're going to play different because I remember are Bowser back in the day was absolutely pointless to have. Yeah, him and it DK. W- yes, it was like he literally max speed was like thirty, and everybody else was going eighty to a hundred. It like, was a mess. It was a mess. Um, so, without further ado, let's jump into the first one. I think we decided on the Candy Crushable. Cool can. Uh, pale ale with lactose sugar added. It's a very cool can. Chomp, chomp, chomp. Let's dive in and see what we think. Oh, like I said, candy. Yeah, we drank one of these earlier this week, and crushable is the right word. You can definitely drink a lot of these. And it's nice, too, because isn't this like 5.5%? Yeah, it's not yeah. bad at all. It says it's a session IPA. Drinking friendly. Yes. Yes, we're uh, – I think, I think this is how I started my night. Um, I've kind of been jumping through them already. There's a lot of really good ones. Um, we got Rise of the Angels, Temporal Purgatory, and uh, The Chasing Paper, um, as well as The Hunter. I've never had the actual Hunter. I've had the variants. So I've had Cherry they Vanilla. Hunter. They have Vanilla. They've got um, they had a Cherry one that I just had not long ago. Yeah, I was looking on Untapped. I didn't realize they had all the flavors. They had a, pe- a Pepper one, like yeah, a Ghost Pepper one. 18 Street's definitely like your guys' beer. Like yeah, I, the You weird. guys totally introduced me to 18 Street. I had nobody ask me about it. No one talked to me about it. Like... You guys were definitely the first guys to tell me to go drink some 18th Street and get some 18th Street. They're all about the IPAs and the pails. Um, but then, again, you know, the Hunter, they've got a killer stout series. They've got uh, an event they do every year. Um, it's the Barrel Massacre, where they just release a bunch of beers that they've barrel-aged. So they, they really got the IPA, pale game, and then they've got the stout game as well. Also, didn't uh, one of my reps, Matt Violante, was talking to us. It was 18th Street, right, that has no contract with any hops farms, right? That right. they're constantly always going to different hops farms and trying different hops just to kind of, I guess, mix up their beer or have the ability to mix up their beer. And there's different places releasing all sorts of different stuff all the time. Like, I just saw one, a brewery I really like. Um, they said that they, they had some hop in one of their beers that I'd never even heard of. So people are constantly... I think crossbreeding the hops and making different kinds, different strands and whatnot. Um, it's fantastic. I'm a big fan of 18th Street. That was very, very crushable. Oh, um, yeah. Uh, that was in the can, right? No, that was on draft. No, no, no. Uh, Candy Crushable's in 16-ounce can. The Hunter's in a 16-ounce can. And then the other three were on draft. We haven't discussed this at all, but if I have my way at all, we'll, we'll definitely be ordering more 18th Street. Because when we looked at the list, Casey and I both sat down – and he's writing a list. He's got four or five things. I've got four or five things. A couple overlap, but we've got different things. They they had a huge list of of really interesting sounding stuff. So we just got to stay up on there because it's funny because like when I get a list, it'll be like one available, one six barrel available, and you're like, well, f- all right, fuck shit, you know, like order it t- now. yeah, like order it now. hey, do you guys have it right now? And they're like, well, I can see, but yeah, they actually they've definitely gotten a lot better as far as giving me that kind of option instead of just always giving me a list and then I end up placing an order and four of the five things are like yep that's out that's seasonal that's out yeah yeah it's sad seeing the hunter stuff because they're like oh we've got this kind of hunter and I'm like well that's what I thought I was like cherry vanilla like I'm I'm way in and then nope that's those aren't out right now although the original hunter is good we finished with that oh yeah it's a milk stuff it's definitely definitely gonna ride over the majority of this stuff so temporal 
Purgatory. That's what we're on next. This is the pale. This is the pale ale. A session, session pale ale. So another session. Yep. All right. Let's see. What we got cheers. Arguably more crushable. This is probably the darker one. It's a little darker than uh, in terms of color than the last one we just had. Yeah. Um, the chasing paper is by far the lightest. I like this one. It's um, it's it's not too bitter, but it does have a, a, a little bitter punch. Uh, you could definitely drink a lot of it, though. That's what I always think. Like the ones we've had so far, is we've had some beers. You know, like we had Southern Tier. And I thought their beers were great, but it was like a pint and done. Big you beefy know, boys. Yeah, they were like 8%, 10%, a lot of flavor, but it was a one and done. I mean, we, we had some idiots drink like five of them and end up with a rough night. <laughs> Sean. Yeah. I'll call Sean. him out. I'll call you out, buddy. Who brought you? Love you. That was Nick. Damn it, Nick. Um, so that one, that one goes down super easy. That's one of my favorite things is when you warn somebody about an imperial stout. When you warn somebody about that it tastes good, but like you might want to pace yourself. They laugh at you, drink five of them, which is the equivalent to about fourteen beers. Yeah. And then ninety minutes later, are calling an Uber and look awful, and they're Puke, shocked. Puking on the side of yeah. the building. I'm fine, dude. You're puking outside. You're not fine, Sean. Sean, love you, bud. But fuck. All right, so we're moving right along. We're making this what we call it the quick and dirty. Um, uh, Rise of Angels. Yeah. So uh, this one has a we. This one's on draft, I believe. It um, is. But I've seen. I've had this one in the cans, and it's beautiful. It's got. It's very pink. Um, it's, it's a very attractive can. So. Man, it's really light for like almost an eight percent. It's definitely hazier than the other ones we've had. But it's incredibly crushable for eight percent. That's always give kudos to 18th Street. Is a lot of their beers are very, very drinkable, multiple drinks. I mean, that's what I do like is when you can sit down and have three or four IPAs and not have to just be, yeah, you know, have one and then dumb down to your PBR or whatever your lesser beer is. It took me years to all realize day IPA that the two hearted was so heavy. I just drank them because they were so good. And it's like, dude, that's 7%, Yeah, man. The, the old Vault 32-ounce mug. You drank a couple of those and you're Thanks, in trouble. Thanks, dickhead. Yeah. You're in trouble. Thanks. Hey, what are your sizes? You have we one option, 32 ounces. Ah, Mac joining in. Hey, BK. How's it going? Good to see you, man. I just hung out with him earlier today. We're always scheming. Um, we're back on the uh, the food truck life. We're talking about that possibility again. Um, I think we're all just on that make make ends meet having fun kind of thing so uh we're still pushing forward on on all the on the brewery stuff we're, we're making a lot of progress on the brew fest that we're doing down here it the, the more we talk about it and the more pieces fall together the more the more i, I realize it's it's happening like we're doing yeah it. it's gonna i was be thinking fun. about that yesterday when i saw you out there with your walking just walking it off in the parking yeah. lot like yeah this is going to be going down it's happening Join us in a new podcasting adventure where we will journey far and wide to worlds, planets, territories, dungeons. I'm Nick. I'm Dave. And this is Dungeons with Dudes. We couldn't, we didn't, we haven't decided what it is. The dude room? The office. (laughs) 
in the office. <laughs> we haven't decided yet. We're working on the name. Uh, my co-host Dave's here. Hello, hello, everyone. I'm excited to be here as always. And we're sitting here again with uh, Mr. Austin Hill. Uh, yes, uh, this is actually my first time on Dungeons with Dudes. No, it's not. Weren't you on Super Fight? I Super was on Fight. Super Fight. That's right. You I was. I was a little drunk. So this yeah. time I'm not a little drunk. I'm actually feeling pretty solid. Goodly sober. Great. We did Ish. have we did have a fun episode er, of er, with er, before er. this. It's good times. Well, it was good times. Pretty good time. Mm. Pulling double duty duty today. We're just getting stuff done. We're just getting on it. Creating that that winter content, you know. So we're sitting here with a classic. Uh, we're gonna play Catan. Uh, Dave said he's had the itch. I'm always down. It's been a long Catan. time since I played. It's a vitamin C song, the itch. It has been a while. Um, so uh, <laughs> we'll kind of explain what we're doing as we go, uh, but this is just gonna be a fun little playthrough. So uh, let's roll to see who goes first. Let's do it. We use this fancy dice tower we have. This is our first time using the tower on the show. Ooh, seven. Seven. Right. seven. Here, since you guys are hosts, I'll let you uh, take turns. Oh, Six. Hmm. Six. Damn. Ooh, looks seven. like I get to pick first. Dave gets to go first. Then oh. it'll go clockwise. I will put one down, then Austin will put both of his, then I will put my second, then it'll swing back to Dave. So I lucked out. I get to place boom, yeah, boom. Yep, yep, you sure do. Place my settlement right there. And you get one road as well. Road, I will do the road this way. One road. A lonely road. Hmm. All right, well. Goodness. Some good choices. Uh, good choices. I don't know though. Uh, I always feel like I pick wrong. We go right here. Oh damn it! That's a tasty boy. Good old spot. Okay, so. Uh, Where's that road going? That's a good <laughs> question. That's a good question. I got some places I got to go. <laughs> All right. So I have to ask, can I put a settlement here? No. no. You have to do two spaces. It has to be two spaces. Two spacey boys. Indeed, yes. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm going to go here. That's the spot. <laughs> Road here. Wow, dog. It's getting really? crowded already in here. Wow, oh, really? Shit. That's how we're going to play. Playing dirty already. Dirty already. And that was cool. Um. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, I don't want to put that road there. There's no point. Oh, it's placed, my friend. Too late. Too late. The deed is done. Deed is done. Since we're playing like that, we are going to play like that. Because <laughs> the deed is done. The okay. heat is on. Mm -hmm. um, goodness. What to do, what to do. Uh, Get it. All right. All right. It's hoping this doesn't completely fuck me. 
That's we, sh- we've got a game. That's here, a yeah. solid move right there. Yeah. Nick and I have like what looks like a recently drawn bow shooting a sweet arrow that way. That does look pretty cool. That is pretty cool. Um, I like the way we set that up. But we're going to have... Happenstance. Uh, I'm going to be playing a very interesting game here. <laughs> <laughs> All righty. Probably won't be getting any longest roads. All right. So, Dave, give us a roll. Wait. Oh, wait, wait, wait. We get to collect the resources from the second place that we set. That's right. So. Uh, Austin gets... I get one, two... I get two sheep and a stone. Two sheep and a stone... There you go, sir. And I get two woods and a stone. Two wood and a stone. And then you get get two two wood and a wheat. Wheat, wheat. Wheat, wheat. All right. Now I will roll the dice. A three. Three. Sheep. Ooh. You get sheep. I get a sheep. I get a wheat. You get a wheat. A whole wheat. A whole wheat. A whole wheat. <laughs> a whole wheat for you. Mm-hmm. Hey, Philip says, fucking love that tower. Thank you, sir. It is one hell of a dice tower for DC so myself. I think uh, next time I know we're going to play and I get the invite, I'll bring my dice tower as well so we can have... Double tower We action. can have the two towers... Dude, dude. Well, I, like that. I don't really have anything. Nothing to do. Yeah. Mm. All right. So I go. It's my turn now. That's a five. Five. I got wood. God damn it. I also have wood. <laughs> Fuck. Not my strongest start. <laughs> I'll pass to Austin. Six. I got brick. I got a brick, too. I got shit. <laughs> and then I'm going to build a road because I don't need a government to have roads. That's enough. That's enough. So I'm going to turn a brick and wood in and take the longest road card. You have to get more than three, yeah, don't you? it's five. Oh, five segments. Okay. Yeah. Trying to cheat already? Now you're knocking down my road. <laughs> Ain't no government to stop me. Because <laughs> we settle in here. <laughs> I got jokes. They're not good, but I have them. <laughs> Just keep firing them out. One will stick. <laughs> my turn? You good? Dave's yes. turn. Go host Dave. Eight. 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 Ooh. Nothing yet. Get some wood. Ooh. I'll trade uh, wood for brick. Anybody want some wood? Get some wood for a brick. Nate Phillips asks, so if you settled around a number that is rolled, you get those resources. Yes, yes. sir. Anybody? Mm-mm. What? I got some wood for some brick. Nah. Two wood for brick? Two wood for one nah. brick. That's no. a steal. No. That's a steal. None for you, friend. Okay, fine. That's me. None for you. All right. Nicholas. Nicholas. Four. Four. Get some wood. 
Give me that. I say, give me that. Give me that wood. I also get wood. Dave's got wood. I'm the wood lord. The wood lord, he says. All right. Um, I'm going to build a red. And I will pass my turn. Okay. Six. Six. Give me that brick. I brick, got brick. brick. Give brick, me that brick. 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 Give me that brick. Take your damn brick. <laughs> All red bricks. Stacks on stacks on stacks on stacks. <laughs> All right. Mm-hmm. What do I need now? Would you like to perform an action? What's an action? Do something. No. No? My turn then. Seven. Thief. That's not good. That's not good. So I got to move the thief. To wherever you want. Onto a resource of your choice. Of course. Of Of course. course. And you get to steal a resource from one of us. I'm going to steal one from Austin. Uh Uh-oh. Let me put my mic down. Thank you to everyone that's joining us on Facebook Live. We appreciate your participation. Yay. Thank you to everybody who's listening on Spotify, Podbean, Apple Music, Mm -hmm. other things. All the things. There's lots of different things. All of the things. I got wheat for a brick. Anyone want some wheat? I got one wheat for a brick. Wheat for a brick. That's good. I'm going to go ahead and pass on the wheat. Thank you. I will take a wheat and a wheat and wood for a brick. I will do that deal, sir. Hooray, commerce. (laughs) And I will build a road. Look at you, look at you. Building roads, you're building roads. Roads and dudes. My turn? Yes. Roll a seven, please. I'm going to try. Ooh. Dave, I love you. (laughs) You can also fuck off. (laughs) So the robber. To build another road. That's where the robber's at. Sounds like there's warfare on the horizon. Yeah. <laughs> a battle was just won yeah. by mom. <laughs> mom wins all the battles. Come on. <laughs> Is that your uh, final move? Final move. Pass turn. Oh, it's one. Okay. Oh, goodness. God damn it. <laughs> Another six. You will pay for that, we- David. We're gonna have to get an alliance here against David. <laughs> <laughs> We're gonna. Hey, Corbin, I don't know what's happening, but I support the fuck out of it. <laughs> we appreciate it, Corbin. Thank you, Corbin. You're the man, Corbin. <laughs> We're settling. Catan. All right, whose turn is it? It's Dave's. Rude. I'm just trying to have a good time here. Four. I'll take some wood. I got nothing. <laughs> I have a wood. I was just trying to play game two, and then you start. You, you said I couldn't have any more of my resources. Yeah, you could have just moved them somewhere where nobody has to deal with them. 
But no, you want to no. You want to hurt me. Well, and you want to hurt me. I need brick. So you you cut off the only supply of brick, <laughs> you monster. Yeah, you cut off the most I need com- brick right now. I needed instant gratification. Well, if I was getting brick, I'd be open for trades, but no, I don't have brick. You have imposed unnecessary tariffs on the brick. That's all I got. All right. I am the wood king. Still. Three. All right. I'll take some uh, sheep, please. You like the banker. Have a sheep. I need sheep. Have a sheep. All right. All right. I don't think I got anything. So, I'll, I'll pass. Eight. Damn it, Bobby. I get more wood. Good for you, Mr. Lender. Good for you, Mr. Lender. <laughs> Sorry, guys. I feel all this animosity coming from me because of this. Hey. Sorry. God damn it, they're forming alliances. That's what happens <laughs> when you cut off my bricks. <laughs> yeah, you can play with your wood all you want, but you ain't getting none of this brick. I am the wood king. You'll address me as the wood king. I'll call you the boy woodsman. The boy woodsman? That's me. The woodsman. Whose <laughs> turn is it? It's, your, your, it's oh. Dave's turn. I just rolled I an eight. I said it's me. Oh. Oh, that's right. Said it's me, and then he doesn't. Uh, right after you said it's your turn. Eight. Another eight. More wood. Hope we roll a seven so you lose all half your cards. That's me. That's you. Your turn, sir. I get wood. I got wood. I also get more wood. It's not going so good for for the blue guys out here. It's hard out. Hard out there for a pimp. Pimping ain't easy. Hard out here for a smurf. <laughs> All right, whose turn is it? Your turn. I just rolled and didn't get. I got the five. Oh, you got Wait the five. Yeah, because you got the eight. I just rolled yeah. five. And I ain't got nothing to do. 